Tonight we are in the book of, of Mark, chapter 3. The next couple of stories, starting with chapter 7, do not seem to have much weight to them when it comes to being used in vacation Bible schools and such, but there's some lessons to be learned here, and we can learn them fairly quickly. Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Now, the last episode, but please remember that the Gospels were not written uh, entirely in chronological order. Uh, that Because that's just not the way Jewish people told their stories. They told them to make a point, not to be a biography. So it could be some distance between verse 6 and verse 7. Jesus withdrew to his, with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and all the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. Once again, we talked about this, but here it gives the explanation. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. There, there's some heavy weight here, but just take a look at the humanity of it. We talked about this last week. When people find out that there's free stuff, they tend to show up. And if it is free and you're desperately in need, a healing, for example, um, let's face it, if somebody could heal all diseases and you have a child in the NICU at Vanderbilt, you're going to go get that kid and find that person. And so we're, we're, there's no blame to these people at all. I'm not trying to claim that they're some sort of, you know, trying to live, live off of somebody else. There are real needs here. But... Jesus also has real needs. Just a reminder, pray for your shepherds. They work hard. Some of them were here on, on Thursday, for example, to talk about uh, even things about what, how do we make sure this building survives for the next generation. It's not easy for an old building. And they were here from 5.30 to, I don't know, 9.30 or 10. And you didn't know about that. But that's just one of a dozen things they did this week. Pray for your shepherds, because they can get pressed with stuff. Pray for young mothers. And one of the things I've told people, you want to have a unique and wonderful ministry, go to airports, fly around a lot, and just help the single mothers that are trying to get through. Because not, not even single mothers, but mothers on their own. How's that? With two or three kids, and they're trying to get through TSA and the like, and the businessmen are going, ah, ah. And whenever you try to get on the plane, the business people are all looking around or scowling at you like, don't sit by me. Go help them. Go love on them. They're being crowded by everything. And then they finally get to church. They're wrestling the kids. They've got Cheerios in their hair. They're frustrated. And the preacher stands up and tells everybody that you need to do, be doing more for Jesus. Really? Maybe we should just go hug one of them instead for right now instead of piling on more burdens. Jesus also needed room. So he wanted a boat just to get out a little bit away from the crowd. 
That little, that last bit there, verses 11 and 12, is fascinating. Whenever the impure spirit saw him, the reason it doesn't say demons is because it's, a, it's an odd phrasing there. And it might not mean demons. It probably does, in my opinion. But it might not, according to some scholars. It might mean people, for example, with uh, addictions or other type things. They had a spirit that was broken and they couldn't help themselves. I, I still think that's a bit of a reach. I think it was demons. And they see Jesus and they're going, you know, don't hurt us. We know you are the son of God. He didn't want them telling people. He, um, he wants to control the message. He's got a certain amount of time and he knows it. So now he needs a community. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. I want to stop right now talked about we are all equal in the eyes of God, male and female. That's absolutely true. God is allowed, according to Romans in particular, some troubling passages there, a couple in Hebrews, he's allowed to give gifts to whoever he wants to give them. And there were some people he gifted and wanted to work with him. There were others, like we're going to find out later, a man that he heals in Gadarene, who wants to follow him, and Jesus says, no, go home, be with your family. Be aware, there is an American myth that says you can grow up to be anything you want to be. That's, that's not strictly true. Uh, later on today, according to rumors I've heard, there will be some sort of sporting event um, in, in Texas. Um, a bunch of birds, falcons, are evidently attacking the Patriots. And I, and I would root for the Patriots, but they beat my team about, um, about 230 years ago. So I'm a, still a bit touchy, frankly, about, about all that. Um, but anyway, I could have started training when I was a boy to be playing in the NFL, and it's not going to happen. Because look, you have to have a certain amount of raw material to start with. However, it doesn't mean you're not equally valued in the eyes of God, right? Jesus needed to pick people. I mean, I had a guy come up to me years ago saying, I want to do what you do. He'd only come to church two or three weeks. And I said, well, that's terrific. Well, let's, let's get you started learning. He didn't want to learn. He just want to do it. Like next week. And I'm going, No. No, you've got to be tried, you've got to be study, you've got to work, you've got to prove yourself through the, and there are steps here. That, no. He felt like he had the right, he wanted it, let's do it. Kind of like American Idol. Do you remember all the, when American Idol was on, the first week or two was always of the train wrecks. But they believed, they wanted it, therefore they must have it. I'm saying all that to say this. In the rules of God's gifting, if I'm understanding Scripture correctly, Everybody gets at least one gift. Nobody gets all of them. And you don't get to choose which ones you get. I'm told I have a certain facility with teaching scripture. I wish that had not been my gift. I see somebody being able to make cabinets and I go, oh, I'd like to do that. You know why? Because you can tell when the cabinet is done. You can never tell when a message has worked. You can never tell when a sermon worked. You can never tell when, you know, it's kind of like, 
It's kind of like laundry. You're never done with laundry. You just think you are. And then the two socks in there breed an entire hamper full overnight. But a cabinet, you can, you can look and I have done a cabinet. They wanted cabinets. They got cabinets. I did it. And I did it in a room on my own. But God, knowing that I'm a loner and knowing that I don't particularly care for public speaking, gave me a gift and shoved me out in front of you. You don't get to choose. What you choose is, will you go ahead and serve him with what you were given? Anyway. And I've told him, when I die, I'm, I've had Cammie once. I don't know, I can't remember even the, the scenario now, Cammie. But we were somewhere when somebody asked me what my view of heaven was. And I said, heaven to me will be a small whitewashed cottage, thatch roof in the islands off of Scotland. You'll give me one of my own. No roads to it, because there'll be no visitors. A <laughs> couple collie dogs. And every so often, a helicopter drives by and uh, flies by and drops a big crate of books. This is before Kendall's and such. And I'll be out there on my own with my fire, my collie dogs, and my books. And I turned and looked, and Cammie was just looking at me. <laughs> and I was going, oh, you can be there too. Um, and she was basically saying, no, that wouldn't be heaven for me. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, locked on an island with Patrick for all eternity. You know, this, no. Um, where's Cammie? She's still building the bridge. I don't know why. Um, anyway, making a plane. God knows when to push you. But he also knows who to pick. There are times that I'll be in a room with the shepherds and they'll make a decision that I wouldn't have made. They do not know any of those times because I don't tell them. I don't say, no, I, you know, I don't think I would agree with that, but I'll support you. I don't do that. Why? I believe that God picks who he picks. And these are our shepherds. I will follow them. Uh, I am not wiser than the community he has picked. You understand that? I'm not wiser than the community here. Jesus seems to have been a loner. We talked about that two weeks ago. Look at all those passages where he went off by himself. And yet, what does he do here? He picks a community, but he does pick his favorites. And out of the 12, doesn't he have favorites among the 12? Well, yeah, Peter, James, and John. Those are favorites there. In a couple of weeks, Cammie and I are going to do something we almost, we very rarely do. We're going to take a proper vacation. We're going to take, um, we're not really taking, they're paying their own way, so I guess, um, but Dave and Barb Cassidy are going with us. Now, some of you might have noticed that we didn't invite you. That's correct. It's not because we don't like you. It's because, you know, Dave and Barb, we've known you guys for what now, 10 years or more? Uh, and they've traveled with me and still like me. I'm not easy to travel with, frankly. You know, as, you know if you don't want to sit beside someone screaming, we're all going to die as soon as we take off in the airplane. Um, they, I don't do that either, but inside. Um, we, we're allowed to have friends. We're allowed to have specials. So are you. Jesus picks his people. He called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. See the two sides? The call and the response. That's that knock. Jesus knocks. Remember the famous painting of Jesus standing there knocking on the door? 
Do you remember what's really famous about it? There's no, no handle on the outside. He can't open it. The, the artist said he did that intentionally. It can only be opened by those on the inside. So the call in response, he appointed 12 that they might be with him. Uh, some later translations will even put 12 who he called apostles, that he might send them out to preach. You don't really need to put in the word apostle if you put in the phrase, send them out to preach, because the word apostle means something like those sent out. So these, these are who he, and look what he gives them, authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. That's a complex thing. We may talk about that later. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he, came, he gave the name Blogenes, which means sons of thunder. They, they were kind of rough and around the edges. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, this is the group. Jesus even embraced Judas, knowing what was coming. Now, that is one of the reasons I shared the story about Duncan, my son, and the embrace. Because that, that, that really humbled me that day. I've looked back on it many times thinking, that was not my response. And that should have been my response. You know, um, hug the guy that's going to betray you. Then Jesus entered a house. And again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. Cammie knows this. And, I, and please don't think, poor pitiful me, my life has been so blessed that, and I have zero reason to have been blessed like I have been blessed. When I go out to speak somewhere and there's a period for lunch, I won't be having lunch. People will be talking. They'll be coming up. Um, when I go, last week I was teaching at Ohio State University and teaching from 8.30 to 12.30. They get a break every hour. I don't. Why? Because every hour when they take a break, while some hit the doors, others come up. And Cammie knows. We pray, help me stand up and talk for the four hours before I finally get my break by running out to my truck, saying, oh, I forgot something in my truck, and then leaving. Um, <laughs> inside, uh, inside, I leave. They, uh, again, he's mobbed. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. Please remember that Jesus' family did not approve of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' family thought he was out of control, he was an embarrassment, and he needed to be shut up. Because nobody in Jesus' family other than Mary believed Mary's story. Do you remember that? Now, Later, it seems evidence that some of the sisters believed. They might have believed even here. But again, being women, they had zero power. They had zero voice in this situation. So the brothers are coming to take him. I don't know what they're going to do with him. Put him away. But shut him up. Say, no, we're not going to let you sully our name by going around causing a problem. Had you ever thought of that? You look in Scripture... The only people in Jesus' family who stood with him was Mary when she was allowed to, when the brothers hadn't grabbed her and moved her off somewhere. They've come to get him. He is out of his mind. <laughs> Got a few family members that say that about me. 
and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem. Oh, good. The religious leaders are coming. Woohoo! He is possessed by Beelzebul. Well, as long as we don't start with a major... Um, you ever thought, they could have just said, you know, we have some disagreements on certain points. They don't do that. They come right in. He's possessed by the devil. That's the way people react. Jesus teaches us not to react like that. But that's the way people do. You know, you know do you like my new dog? You know, I've always preferred dachshunds. You're evil. May God kill you. You know, that, we do that. Be very careful. Jesus had to deal with all of it. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Yeah, he's doing all right. I have a brother-in-law that wrote me up several times and said, um, Fourth Avenue only hired me because they wanted somebody like Joel Austin. Really? Have you ever seen him? If, you, if that was your goal, whiff. I mean, you, you missed the whole backboard on that one. It is amazing. We, we go way overboard on things. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom divided against itself is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Oh, there's an American that quoted this. Who is that? Abraham Lincoln. I think most of you in the South like him now. If you don't, it might be time to get over it. Um, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I say you, to, to you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Now we have something to talk about, don't we? Oh, no. I, I, I don't know how many times in my life I've had people say, I don't know, I may, I may have done that. Uh, people, if you have done it, you know it. Let's work. Let's, we got to work backwards, though, through the story to get it. what's going on. Jesus is doing miracles and teaching in the name of God, and the leaders are saying he's doing miracles and teaching through the power of Satan. Jesus was always very upfront that he did his power and got his words from the Holy Spirit. When you accuse, whenever you say that the words of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus were really the works of the devil, you have crossed a line. And that's, the Bible says in, in another, past, another gospel, that sin will not be forgiven in this world or the next one. Now, why? Well, frankly, if you have committed that, you're not interested in salvation. You've already thrown away the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as evil beings. Does that happen? Oh, yeah. I've talked to several witches in my life, British, they show up, um, who will tell me that Lucifer really means star of light, which it does, that's what it means, and that he was the smart and the good one, and that Jesus is the one who put all the rules and pain of religion upon us, and and he's the one that denies us all of our sexual fun and the like. You know, if you start thinking that direction, it's kind of hard to turn you around. Because we have former lots of stuff in here. We don't have a lot of former witches, do we? Or Satanists. Can you reach most of them? Yeah, most of them don't go this far. 
But these people have come to Jesus and said, I, the salvation, remember Simeon? I have now beheld the salvation of Israel. The salvation of the world has come, and you're looking at him saying, I think you're the devil. Where, how are you going to be saved? Do you remember Hebrews 2? How can we be saved if we neglect such a salvation? So it is not a matter of something inadvertent. This is a pretty much pretty gone individual. If you don't grab on to Jesus, he's saying, you don't get to grab on to me later. You reject me here, I'm rejected after. It's not like he's going to say bygones be bygones. Does that help put this where it is? All right. Um, there are, <clears throat> there are very tiny um, religious groups and one larger religious group that do, that do they, they do actually teach that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers. That's getting pretty close, but I don't think that's it yet. I've only heard this done once or twice in my life, and I've been a lot of places. Um, but Jesus, remember, sometimes said it's better just to walk away and shake the dust off of you and go to the next town. Jesus was letting us know not everybody wants to show up. Don't waste your time. Keep moving. Do you have any questions about this at all? Oh, you may wonder what blasphemy is. Um, and that's important because all the way through Shakespeare's time, for example, Middle English up to the development of modern English, uh, the word blasphemy actually just meant the same, the same as using the name in vain. A, a, a Christian soldier during the Crusades could rape and murder, but he couldn't say, oh my God, because that would be blasphemy. That was considered worse. Please remember um, and by the way, I'm not trying to blame the world's problems on Christians. Uh, the fact is, Muslims did declare the, the jihad against Christians 100 years before the first crusade. So let's not, let's not, and I'm not saying they did it first. It was still wrong. Let's just be aware, people who don't follow Jesus do bad things. And that's in Christ and out of Christ. You know, you can, I don't believe that I can lead a Christian militia in to attack a village. You know, it's, it's um, I can lead a militia, but I can't say Jesus wants me to shoot these people. I think there's a problem there, and we, we can talk about this later. Not opposed to combat troops, not opposed to policemen. I am opposed to spreading the word of God with a bullet. I, I don't think we're allowed to do that. Uh, so blasphemy is not just saying, oh my God, or OMG on the end of a, a Facebook post, but stop it. Don't do that, by the way. Just stop it. Revere the name of God. It means to demean and to hand it over as if it belonged to the devil. That's in the original. Not in modern English, but in the original. And he said, he said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. He's speaking the things of the devil. I think Richard Dawkins comes close here. Have you read any of Richard Dawkins? He refers to Jesus and God, and I wish I had the paragraph in front of me right now, as homophobic, misogynistic, I just, it, there's a whole paragraph, it's a very famous paragraph, where every insult of the most horrific kind, he throws at God. And that's the start of his work. I think he comes pretty close. Uh, but again, I hope not. I'd love to see him in heaven. The shock look on his face will take two million years to go away. 
Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Here they come. Standing outside, they sent someone to call to him. Remember, it's crowded. They can't even get in. So they're saying, you let him know we're here to get him. You might say, why would his mother do that? His mother had no choice. Joseph seems to be gone, which means she has no voice in the family at all. It's the oldest brothers. Well, that would be Jesus. Well, he's gone off the rails. So now it's going to be the other brothers. Family fights are awful, aren't they? I'll never forget one of the kindest men I knew uh, when we worked in West Virginia. Um, He would take Duncan to teach him how to do stuff and just a big old man and his beautiful wife and they had lived all their life with each other and she passed. And all of a sudden his family wouldn't talk to him because I'm not making this up. That he wouldn't dole out the records she bought through Reader's Digest specials the way they wanted them. And he sat there in his assisted living home, tears running down his face that his family wouldn't talk to him. I'm going, this is not new. This, By the way, isn't that cool that God lets you pick a new family? I love my Fourth Avenue family. I really do. I would hug you and let you know, but British. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you, and guess what he does? He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pick a new family, he says. Let's start a new tradition. Remember when Cammie and I came across the States, we had a wee girl, two or three years old at that point. And we both knew we didn't know how to raise children. And so we went to uh, a, a man, Dean Tripp, Dean and Ann Tripp. He was one of the shepherds of the local church. And he was just, and still is, he walks in the room smiling and kind. And immediately you look at him and you know, smiling and kind. And he's had three sons who are just brilliant, wonderful guys. And I walked up to him and I said, can you help me? I said, I would like to adopt you as my role model. I need a new dad. And we started off from there. I've gone to several people in my life and said, I need you in my life to teach me this. I need you to adopt me. So, and then we've done the same. We've adopted several others. Uh, and again, no papers. It's a spiritual way of saying we're forming a new family here. We have things we need to learn from each other. I would recommend highly that you do the same. You look about, find somebody with the traits and say, I want to be a part of your life. Um, by the way, if they go, ooh, then you probably picked the wrong guy. <clears throat> Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I just think that's so cool. It's kind of an awkward placement. Anybody have any questions, though, or, or comments, insights, controversies? Or it's pronounced controversies, but anyway, we could argue about that. Have a controversy over controversy. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large, he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while the people were alongside the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. Okay, he's going to give us a couple, but wouldn't you like to have more? It's amazing how little we have, really. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. 
As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear green. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is called an aha story. <clears throat> One of the, the great masters of this back in the 60s and 70s, and especially, but you know, 50s, 60s, and 70s, was a psychiatrist named Milton Erickson. Milton Erickson was, uh, I call him a wizard, because, and he worked with hypnotherapy and the like, but he was an amazing character. Uh, there are so many stories I want to tell you about uh, Milton, but uh, one of the fun things was he couldn't see any color but purple. He was colorblind, but he could see purple. So he wore purple every day. That was, that was just, a, you know, he wore purple. I have another friend who's colorblind, and he can only see yellow, and he wears yellow Crocs. A grown man. <laughs> but he can see them, and so that's interesting to him. Anyway, Milton Erickson believed in telling you stories that you would walk out going, well, that didn't make any sense at all. And a month, two months, three months later, you'd just be walking down the street and go, wait a minute. Something would slot right into position. And I love those stories. I studied those stories for many years as part of my, my, my first doctoral work and, and fell in love with that, kind, that concept. Jesus did the same thing. And that, let he who has ears to hear, you know, let him hear. That's just another way of saying, you'll get it when you get it. Well, when he was alone, the 12 came around and said, oh, we're not getting it. We're, we kind of would like to get it. Because you, you know people are coming up to them saying, what did that mean? And they're going, I, you know, the secrets of the Lord are not to be you know, revealed at this point. And they go to him and they say, um, ask him, what, what are these? He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, because they might turn and be forgiven. Uh, it's, a, it's a quotation of Isaiah 6. What's going on? He's saying, these people aren't ready for it. This is going to take a while. We've got to do this slowly. As Paul would put it, we've got to be as gentle as a, harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent. That, You've got to be smart about how you do this. So he said, don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand any parable? This is one of the easy ones, guys. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes down, takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, you can do that through a variety of reasons uh, or other methods. One of the easiest ways is distraction. Just distract people. What's our attention span nowadays, which I find fascinating. Compare, for example, the Iliad and the Odyssey to gospel stories. Gospel stories are snapshots, quick scenes, moving on. They're perfect for this world. I wonder if that was planned. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word, and at once receive it with joy. 
But since they have no root, they only last a short time. If you've never planted anything, you don't really get this. If it has little soil, it's like overnight, that seed pops up. There's a plant, but after a little bit, it just dies because there's no soil. There's no place for the root to go. That's why it's important when we teach here that we really dig into Scripture and we look at it and we think about it and we put it into context and we grab the history of it and we check the words, get roots here. That's why Albert is always telling us to pray and fast and pray and fast because one of these days you're going to need that strength. Well, trouble, persecution comes because of the word. They quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of the wealth and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. That's an awful lot of us, and I'm saying us, I'm including myself, that's a collective noun. There are a lot of times that I don't see Jesus because I'm too worried about the little weeds. I forget to pull the weeds and look at Jesus. I've told you a story before of when we were learning to fly and I, everything was going great. He was getting me ready to solo, but when I, I had to learn to land it well first because you got to quit sometime. And every time I came in, I was bouncing. And I just, I was frustrated. I, was, I thought I was doing everything just right. And he, he wasn't frustrated, but he was, huh, let's go around again. Go around, bounce. Hmm, let's go around again. So finally we're coming. He goes, oh, I see what you're doing. You're looking down. I went, Down's where I'm going. Hence, I'm looking down. He goes, you don't look down. You look where you want to end up. I said, that makes zero sense to me at all. He goes, look at the other end of the runway. I said, how will I know? He goes, just look. And he did, and I I greased every landing. But I learned something. It matters where you put your eyes. And there are some days that I have to stop and say, Patrick, where are your eyes? They're everywhere but Jesus. You're thinking of everything but Jesus. Get him off of it. Let's move on. So maybe you have those kind of days as well. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, we all assume we're the good soil here. Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Then he stops. He doesn't go any further. Another parable comes next. But what's the point? What are you going to do with the word you've got? According to John chapter 1, the word of God is Jesus Christ. So what are you going to do with Jesus? Remember that old hymn, what will you do with Jesus? The question comes to you. A bit of a maudlin tune, but it was a good question. What are you going to do with what you've got? I was um, working in in a hospital as an operating room technician. If you're thinking, ooh, that sounds cool, it isn't. You hand instruments. That's all you do. And basically then polish and clean up stuff after. Put it in the autoclave. But I had to make money somehow, and I was already attached to the university that was attached to the hospital, so I'm right there anyway. It's a one-stop shop for me. Uh, and I was just a teenager. Uh, I would graduated from one university, but I was just 18 at the time for the second one. And uh, they, this is, at this hospital, the OR techs would actually go up and talk to the patients and then get them on the gurney. You, you call it a gurney, right? Okay. And then bring them down, and you know, then we'd also be there in the recovery room to wake up with them. It, it, it was actually a little ahead of its time that way with patient care. And I went up 
And there was a young man about my age, actually about a year older, uh, an African-American young man who had cerebral palsy. And I'd not really come across that before, or if I had, I hadn't noticed it. My eyes had just gone right past it, being a teenager. There he is, strapped to the gurney, struggling. Not struggling to get off, but struggling because he has no control over the struggling. His eyes are lolling, his, his head's going back and forth. And I'm trying to talk to him uh, and talk to the mother, but I don't know what to do. My ignorance really hit me just broadside, right, right, right on the forehead that day. And his mother stopped me and looked at me and said, young man, he's as intelligent as you are. Talk to him. So I did. Shamed, but I talked to him. Later he came down, and he, he had just a simple procedure to be done that day, and I asked if somebody else could scrub in on it, and they did, because I wanted to make a phone call. I had to call a couple of Christian people I knew. And my, my question was, why, why him and why me? You know, if you believe in God and said, why, why, why does he like this, trapped in that body, and I'm free and traveling the world from the age of 16? And I'll never forget one preacher, must have been in a hurry, because he went shortcut. He said, Patrick, look at your hand. I went, okay. He said, close it. And I said, all right. He goes, now open it. And I said, fair enough. He goes, did that, did, did that work? And I said, yes. He said, if God gave you a hand, use it. And he hung up. <laughs> and I think, what do you do with the word? You got it. Now what do you do with it? Do I need to go any further? Or is that, does that, is that lesson as obvious as it gets? Yes, Gary. Ooh. Question for those of you that listen online later is, at what point are we saved? Anybody else want to take that? Well, I know what I was told. Growing up, it was very mechanical. There were steps to salvation. Um, although there was an extra one tacked on at the end that Barton W. Stone didn't come up with. He's the first one that did the, the finger exercise, but we changed the notations on some of the fingers. Uh, you know, the hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. And he had live faithfully. Oh. I will tell you this. I was baptized when I was 11. And I believe that if I had died after that, I would have gone to heaven. I caused my God an awful lot of pain since then. I believe that if I died tonight, I would go to heaven. Because I believe that as scripture puts it later, we are being continually cleansed. I'm not sure that salvation is an event as much as it is a gift and a process. Is that, that's short, I'm, I'm, I'm being short here, but is that fair? I am a better Christian today than I was when I was 30. Uh, but I'm not as good as I thought I would be by now. But I'm still being saved. And I believe that that's what we call grace. I can remember, and this is not making it up, we've got to quit here. Um, 
I can remember the sermons on grace when I was growing up. You didn't get many. So when you heard the word, you went, oh, sermon on grace. I know grace. I went to school with her. No, it's a different thing. Okay, fair enough. What's that? And the preachers literally said, and they drew it on the blackboards because we had blackboards back then. They'd say, you do all you can do, all you can do, and you can only get this far, but heaven's over there. So grace reaches down and gets you where you are. But then they'd go further. But if you don't do all you can do, grace can't reach you. That's not grace. Yes, sir. Mm hmm. All right. And I, I understand what you're saying. The um, uh, good doctor here says it seems to be a bit of a challenge, a linguistic clash, or at least an ideal clash, to say, I am saved versus I'm being saved. Maybe I should phrase it this way because I'm always up for being sharpened on language. I'm, I am saved, but God is still redeeming me. He is, he's bought me back, yes, but he's still cleansing me. He's still shaping me into his image. I, I, again, I think, it's, I think it's more of a process. Um, think of it, for example. There are some aspects of my life that I have control over today that I did not have good control over 20 years ago. That part of me is now more redeemed and more, more available to God than it used to be. I believe that God is going to continue to work on me like this. I intend to get better instead of just being saved and quitting, saying, well, I'm saved, safe, so I don't need to do more. Yes. Okay. I I think there I think I think there needs to be a bowing of the knee to Christ. I th I think there needs to be an acceptance of him so that an acceptance of his accepting us a response to the call. Okay, understood. You know, yes. Um, how about this? Do you, did anybody grow up in a church where the preachers told the assembled members, almost all of whom had been baptized, that if Jesus came back at that moment, not all of them were going to be saved? Your, your salvation was always in question. Always in question. I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches. So in that sense, I am saved. Absolutely. But I want to be more saved. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more redeemed. I want to be formed better into his image than I am right now. Even though I've made some improvements, boy, do I have such a long way to go. <laughs>